Now, folks, we're in Lesson 47, and we're going to be looking at Paul's passage to Rome. Up to this point, remember, he's had to have make several defenses before a couple of different procurators, uh, the King Agrippa, before the, you know, and so forth, and he made his appeal to Caesar, and so to Caesar he is going. And this is not something unusual or new that's happening. God, or Jesus, already told him that he was going to appear in Rome before Caesar. So now we're going to see the journey that takes place. Now, in our day, to get from Israel to Rome, you would just hop on an airplane and be there in a few hours. That is not what it was like years ago. They had to journey and take several different ships and so forth. And so that's what we're going to see here. And the timing of it, as far as the journeying, could be perilous, and there could be problems and so forth. So we're going to see how he gets to Rome. Now, as we go through these lessons, especially next week, I want you to be aware of something as we go through this. So for instance... There, there, is a, there is a denomination in Christianity today that says that Peter started the church in Rome. Everybody is aware of that, right? Okay. What you're going to find here is that the books, book of Acts uh, is not going to at all support that. Uh, because Peter, Peter is not in the picture here. There's no, nothing in the New Testament that says that Peter went to Rome before Paul. And when we get to chapter 28, we're going to see Paul's ministry there just very briefly at the end of the chapter, and you're going to see that not even Paul is the one who started the church in Rome. That somehow the gospel got there, some believe, because there were people from Rome in Acts chapter 2 who heard the gospel at Pentecost, that they were probably the ones who brought the gospel back to uh, back to Rome. Not, Paul, not Peter or Paul. But we're going to see that. We're, so we're going to see how the journey takes place to getting there. Okay? So I want you to notice with me, first of all, we are in chapter 20, 27. I want you to notice the journey to Fair Havens. Now that's on the island of Crete. Okay? So look with me at verses 1 to 8. So real quickly, we're going to go up along the coast of the Mediterranean through by Lebanon, up south of Asia Minor, if you look at your map, and down over to Crete to Fair Havens. And, and this is only about eight verses, so let's, let's take a look at it. Now, again, some of these names are going to be Greek names uh, or Roman names. So let's take a look. And when it was decided that we should say to, Italy, to sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship at Adramith, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonia, was with us. On the next day, we landed in Sidon. Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. 
when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. And when we had sailed slowly many days, we arrived with difficulty off Nidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed. And we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. Passing with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Let's take a look here. We're going to point out a couple of things. When it was time, when the time was determined to go to Italy, Paul was given a centurion named Julius. So he was given, he had to be escorted to Rome. So that's not just a job that's given to any soldier. So it was given to basically a commander of a hundred. So he was given to this centurion. Now the centurion wouldn't be going by himself. He probably would have a group of men with him because Paul is considered a prisoner. And there are probably some other prisoners that need to be sent to Rome as well. Okay? So probably some other prisoners who need to be sent to Rome as well. Paul and his companion sailed along the coast towards Asia Minor and, and landed in Sidon. Sidon, just so you know, is modern-day Lebanon. Sidon is what we know of as modern-day Lebanon. So they sailed along the coast. If you look at your map there, they landed in Sidon. Now, Julius treated Paul with kindness and allowed him the freedom to go with his friends. Now, when Paul would, when they would get to a port, Julius, rather than just keeping him under bonds, had start, treated Paul very kindly. There was a relationship forming there. And he allowed Paul the liberty to get off the ship and go and visit friends in Sidon or wherever they stopped. Now, who do you think Paul visited when he got off the ship? Who do you think he visited? Who would the friends be? Other Christians. Remember, because he has gone through journeys through the area. So he knows people all along the way, especially up through Asia Minor and stuff. So... Paul would be able to get off the boat. And remember now, when you're a prisoner in Rome, who takes care of you? Your friends and family. Because if they don't take care of you, you're going to starve to death. Do you understand? So probably they would get off the boat, see the Christians there. The Christians would get material or money and give it to Paul and his companions as they go along the way. Now, sailing to the north of Cyprus to avoid the rough seas. Now, I think all of us, you know, probably two years ago, we probably wouldn't have understood what was going on here. But here in the last two years with the Syrian refugee crisis, and you see them, especially the migrants off of Libya, and how they're trying to take, they're taking any kind of boat to try to get to Europe. And a lot of them die in the Mediterranean because of what? Yeah, the, the weather. 
Did you understand the time of the year that they're traveling? Because the seas are pretty rough in the Mediterranean, and especially during the winter season, okay? And this is when Paul's traveling. He's there, pick, talk about a time to pick to travel the Mediterranean, okay? They're traveling during probably the winter season, so in order to be protected, well, it makes sense, in order to be protected from the rough seas, they go north of Cyprus. So if you look there, rather than going beneath Cyprus, they go north of Cyprus along the coast. Why? Because if they needed to, they could just get into a harbor real quick if the weather got really bad, okay? If the weather got really bad. So taking another ship to Italy, they sailed through difficult waters until landing in Fair Havens. Fair Havens is on the coast of Crete, okay? On the southern coast of Crete. Now, I want you to notice Paul gives some advice. They're in Fair Havens. They're getting their supplies together, ready to get on another ship to head towards Rome. And Paul gives some advice. Look at verses 9 through 12. Now, when much time had been spent, so they were there a long time in Fair Havens, maybe a few days, it wasn't just a quick thing, when, they, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end in disaster with much loss, not only of cargo, and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by means they could reach Phoenix a, a harbor of Crete opening towards the southwest and northwest and winter there. Okay, so let's see what's going on here. First of all, after spending much time in Fair Havens, the sailing conditions were very, very dangerous. Now, if you look there at the verse, you're, you're going to wonder, because of the fast, what in the world is he talking about there because of the fast? Look with me at verse 9. Does everybody see that in the passage there? Because of the fast? Are you saying they kind of hung out there because of the fast? No. He's telling this to kind of get your framework of the timing, what time of the year it is. Because the fast refers to the Day of Atonement. Okay? The Day of Atonement, which is always in the fall, okay, Right before winter, it's the Jewish Day of Atonement. And so they were there around the time of the Day of Atonement. He's trying to give you a perspective of timing, all right? Perspective of timing. And the seas are becoming more and more dangerous, okay? Now, I just want you to understand, the size of these boats, you know, when we think of a ship, you know, like if I'm going to get on a go on a cruise through the Mediterranean, I'm, I'm going to get on a cruise ship, okay? That's not the size of these boats. These boats are really small, okay? They've they, they found ruins of them. The bottom of the Mediterranean is covered with them, 
okay? And they're very small crafts. I mean, they're big enough to haul cargo with, but they're nothing like what we have today that could weather a storm. All right, so it's very dangerous. Now, Paul expressed that he perceived that their voyage would end in disaster and the loss of life. So Paul's being pretty wise here. In fact, let me just stop for a moment. Why do you think Paul says that, why do you think he has this perception of what it's going to be like on the sea? Because, I mean, he's a, he's a church planter. He's a guy who used to be a Pharisee. How would he have any clue what the oceans are like? Anybody got any clue? Previous trips, okay. And if you look at some, I think one of the epistles, he gives a personal testimony of being in the deep for three days. What do you think he means by being in the deep three days? Yes, he was on a shipwreck before, and he was in the ocean for three days. So do you think Paul kind of looks at the weather and says, I ain't heading out there. I don't think we should be heading out there. I perceive we're going to have a problem. Did you know what I'm saying? Yes, he knew he wasn't going to die there, but there's nothing wrong. But he didn't say he was going to die. He said that he perceived that maybe others would die. He knew he's going to make it, but he is sensitive to who? Other people around him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Other people. Yeah, nobody wants to be in a shipwreck. He's already experienced that once before. He's actually, according to his testimony, he's experienced it several times. Okay? Several times now. Now, here's what I want you to see. Like, for instance, folks, if you're on Lake Erie, some of you have been on Lake Erie before, okay? On Lake Erie, if a storm comes up, how quickly does it get out of hand on Lake Erie? It gets out, it gets out of hand real quick, and you want to head back in because those little bitty waves become what? Big waves out there on Lake Erie. So, I mean, if you've been on, the, if you've been on journeys and stuff before, you don't have to be a sailor to know, hey, we need to get out of here. You know what I'm saying? And he's trying to encourage them to stay. Now, listening to others, the centurion was persuaded to go on to a safer harbor to winter there. So the people were like, oh, this is not a good place to be here for the winter. Why don't we try to just make it around to the western side of the island and there's a better harbor there, okay? And so the centurion was persuaded to do that. Now, here's the problem. It doesn't go the way you plan, does it? Have you ever noticed stuff doesn't go the way you plan? So here's where we're going to spend the rest of our time in this chapter. So notice with me, let's first of all talk about the hurricane. Except I don't think they refer to it as a hurricane in the Mediterranean. They maybe refer to it like as a cyclone, Okay. Look with me, first of all, at verses 13 through 20. When the so south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous wind arose called the Euryclidon. 
And when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of the island called Claudia, Clada, we secured the skiff with difficulty. And when we had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, fearing that we should run aground on the Sirtis sands. They, sailed, they struck sail and were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Okay, so let's take a look at that. All right? Take a look at that. First of all, setting out in good weather, they soon faced a seasonal cyclone known as the Euryclidon. I mean, this is a... You would think that these guys knew that this was coming because this storm has a name. It's a seasonal name. It's like the this is the thing that's coming. So they set out, and it, isn't it interesting? They set out when the winds were calm. Well, have you ever been around a, a coastal area where there is typically a lot of hurricanes? Like I grew up in South Carolina, Okay. Hurricanes come to South Carolina. And one of the things that happens before the hurricane comes, things are calm. Weather looks nice. Things are wonderful. Let's head to the beach, okay? But the problem is, the problem is, is that it's what comes after. It's the, what do they call it? The calm before the storm, okay? The calm before the storm is what you see happening here. So they decide, oh, wow, everything's going good. Let's head out. Let's get to where we got to go so we can winter there problem is, is they get right in the midst of this hurricane, this cyclone. It's it, Basically, we would call it a hurricane, all right? Now, because they could not head into the wind, so they're trying to go in the direction that they want to go in, but that's heading into the wind. So they're a small sailboat. They can't do that. So they've got to let the wind, what, drive them. Okay? Now, I want you to look at your map for a second. Look at the map there and look at their path. They're just trying to get to the western side of that island. But they end up being driven by the hurricane even further west. Okay? Even further west. So they're not any, they're not any going to be anywhere near. Do you understand? They're not going to be anywhere near where they were wanting to go. Now, Here's what they had to do. They secured their small skiff aboard the ship with difficulty. Typically what they would do is they would have a skiff, like a lifeboat, but they would drag it behind. It would be on a line dragging behind the ship. They decided we better get that, so they brought it in with much difficulty into the boat and tied it down on the boat. Because of the rough seas, they began to lighten the load of their ship. Now, what do you think that means? They started throwing stuff overboard. That's exactly right. Hey, I'm sorry. I know you like those new shoes, but we got to get rid of them. You know, you know what I'm saying? Everybody just, you know, get rid of your stuff. You know, no tubas on here. 
That's we're throwing it off. The band's got to throw off their instruments. It is a carnival cruise, right? You know? Okay. So because of the rough seas, they began to lighten their load of the ship. Paul tells everyone, all right, let's stop for a moment. Paul gives an encouragement. Look with me at verse 21 to 26. But after a long abstinence from food, Paul stood up in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. Indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe that God, that, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. All right, so let's take a look here. I remember Paul's already been told all along the way he's got to make it to Rome. Now, you would think he's in a midst of a hurricane in a little bitty, I mean, we're not talking steel boat. I mean, we're talking wooden something or another that is in this tempestuous storm, okay? So notice now, Paul gives an encouragement. He tells everyone that they should have listened to him and they should, have, they should heed him now. Now let's stop for a moment. Is that how you start off with an encouragement? <laughs> yeah, but that usually, usually, have you ever had anybody do that to you after you made a mistake? You should have listened to me. How did you re normally react to that? Yeah, you weren't exactly happy about that, okay? But Paul's making a valid point here. Guys, remember I told you not to do this. Okay, why is he doing that? Not to get under their skin, but to say, I'm getting ready to tell you something. Listen to me this time, okay? Listen to me this time. So here's what he does. He tells them to be encouraged as no one will lose their life as the ship is lost. Nobody's going to lose their life. We'll lose the ship. But everybody who's with me is going to make it. Okay? He says an angel stated that he must be brought to Caesar and everyone sailing with him will be safe. Okay? An angel said to him, whom he serves... He said that the angel basically said to him, look, you're going to have to be brought and the people are going to be with you and they are not to be afraid and must run aground on a certain island. So he's basically saying, guys, you do what I'm telling you, you're going to be alive. You do what I'm telling you, you're going to be alive. Now, there is a powerful lesson here that you and I need to understand. All right, from... Two years before this, Jesus told Paul, I'm sending you to Caesar. Right? Everybody remember that? Jesus told Paul, I'm sending you to Caesar. Two years before. Now, it's two years later. He's on his journey. 
but it's been two years. Now he's on a boat that's in the midst of a hurricane. I mean, it's like being on a kayak in the midst of a really bad storm with, with I mean, lots of stuff going on. Do you feel secure? Would you feel secure, folks? What's the lesson here? Who's the one who's in control? The circumstances? Because the circumstances don't look like he's getting there, and, and even now he's on his way there, but there's all kinds of stuff happening, okay? Or is it God? See, this, here's, this is the lesson for us. You know, we may have a sense that God may reveal to us the direction I want you to go in, but what, and we're like, oh yeah, I'm ready for that, Lord. I want to go do it. But then the circumstances, and you're in the midst of the hurricane, or it doesn't happen in the time frame that you don't you want it to happen, you get what? Discouraged and maybe even want to throw in the what? Towel, right? But here's the interesting thing. God still comes to him along the way and what? Encourages him. Hang on. You're going to make it through this. You're going to lose that ship, but you're going to make it through this. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a powerful lesson there for us. Powerful lesson there for us. Okay? Now, <clears throat> look with me now at verse 27 through 32, because on this ship are people who know better. Okay? Everybody's heard Paul say this, but there are people who know better on this ship. Who are the people who know better on the ship? The sailors, right? They're like, Oh, yeah, this guy says, okay, what? Look at what happens. Look at verse 27 through 32. Now, when the 14th night had come, stop for a moment. There in this storm, 14 nights. Wow. 14 nights of this, folks. So when the 14th night had come in, we were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea. I mean, they're basically going whichever way. The, I mean, I put a nice line from Crete to where they ended up at. That's not how it went. I mean, they're like going whatever to get there, okay? We were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea. About mid midnight, the sailors sensed that we were drawing near some land. They took soundings and found it. 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they took more soundings and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, okay, so there's some people who know better, okay, as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under the pretense of putting out anchors from the prow. But Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the skiff, cut, cut, cut away the ropes of the skiff, and let it fall off. Okay, so let's see what's going on here. First of all, after, four, after the 14th night, the sailors looked to escape the ship because of fear. 
So they sensed that they were getting close to land. They sensed we're going to run aground, and they're sailors. How many times do people, everybody make it when a ship runs aground and shipwrecks? No, that doesn't happen. They're, they're thinking about who? Themselves, okay? Paul told the centurion that they would not survive unless the sailors stayed with the ship. Hey, I know those guys are thinking about heading out, but I'm going to tell you, they got to stay here or we're not going to make it. Now, if you're the centurion and you have soldiers under you who are under that, what are you going to do? Okay? So the soldiers cut the skiff loose and let it drift away. I mean, are you, if you're a sailor, are you going to argue with a Roman soldier who's got a big sword right there? You know what I'm saying? You're, you're, not, going to, you're not going to argue with him. So they cut the... And you can see where... Okay, people know better, but that's not necessarily the thing to do. All right? That's not necessarily the thing to do. Now let's go on. We're going to finish this up. Look with me at verse 33 to 38. Paul gives a final encouragement. And as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have waited and continued without food, eating nothing. All right, stop for a moment. They have basically, on this boat for 14 days, have not eaten very much. They've been fasting, a forced fast, for 14 days. Okay? Now, look what he says. Verse 34. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And they, they, then they were all encouraged and took food themselves. And in all, there were 226 persons on the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw the wheat into the sea. Okay? So let's take a look here. Paul encouraged the passengers to take food for their survival. Hey, guys, I know we've been trying to preserve. We're not eating anything, but we need to eat now because we're getting ready to go through an experience that every one of you needs to have all of their strength. The number of the people on the ship was 266 people. You say, that sounds like a carnival cruise. It's not the size of a carnival cruise. They don't have the dance halls and the casinos and the swimming pools on the boat, okay? So it's a small boat. Now, and by the way, can I be honest with you folks? You'd say that would be pretty cramped. They're not Americans. Most Americans want their elbow room. Most people around the world cram in, okay? Cram into a short spaces, all right? So, seeing the bay with, with the beach, they plan to run the ship aground. So let's look, verse 38. When we had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but observed a, beach, a bay with a beach into which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosening the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for the shore. But striking a place where two, the two seeds seas met, they ran the ship aground, 
and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those that could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and other parts of the ship. So it was, they all escaped safely to the land. Okay, so let's take a look here. All right, so seeing the bay with the beach, they planned to run the ship aground. As the ship ran aground and was breaking up, the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners. Okay, so let's stop for a moment. Again, a different era, a different way of doing things. They don't do that today. But in their day, they're prisoners. Because if a prisoner escapes, who's responsible? And how did they pay the penalty if a prisoner escaped? They had to give up what? Their own lives. So the soldiers are like, hey, we're going to make sure that nobody escapes. Because I'm not dying. You know what I'm saying? I'm not dying. So, But the centurion wanted to keep Paul alive and kept them from their task. So the centurion said, no, 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 don't worry about it. You let them alone, all right? Don't worry about it. You let them alone. So they abandoned the ship and all escaped safely to shore, okay? Now next week, we're going to look at where they landed, okay? And there's more to the story because they're still a long way away from Rome, but it's pretty, pretty interesting, this point, right? Now here's the thing I want you to take away with this. When God says he's going to do something in your life, you take that to the bank. Don't let the circumstances draw you away from what God is going to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because even though the circumstances may rise up and the circumstances look like it's never going to happen, you've got to take it to the bank that what God said, even in spite of the circumstances, he's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Okay? All right, so we'll look at the last lesson next week.